Ah, da, 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 da. We're just waiting for one more, Amy. Oh. No, there she is, Sean Marcelet herself. What? Oh, she's joining in, is she? She's joined. Hi. Hi, Sean. Well, hello. Welcome. This is a long hey, time. Hey, boss lady. God. Hi, Sean. It's Hi. nice. Welcome. Yeah, nice to meet you. Same here. Okay. One sec. One sec. One sec. What are you doing, rookie? <laughs> My goodness. He is, he like this? is he like he, this at work, Sean? Pardon? Is he like this at work? No, he's great at work. Is he? Who? Yeah. Ooh. You. Oh. Rob. Are they talking Rob's about me again? I literally stepped away from my desk for like three seconds, and now they're talking about me again. Like I came in, and they were talking about me. I was saying me. good things. Everybody's talking about me. What's going on today? All right. What's going on? All right. Is everybody ready? We're ready. Okay. <clears throat> Recording in progress. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. <laughs> this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, the man, the legend, you wish you could be like him, but you can't. Mr. Ryan Flurry. <laughs> and also joining us today, the man who was voted two years running the sexiest podcaster alive by his wife, Mr. Steve Barkley. No, actually, she voted for somebody else. Joe, <laughs> you lost, lost it to Joe Rogan, eh? <laughs> And, of course, the heart, the soul, the spine of the show, Liz Malone. Oh, good day, my dear friends. My favorite guy tonight, Rob Minot. Thank you. There you, you. go. <laughs> voted. Check is in the mail. The uh, Yeah, voted by your high school to be most likely to appear on a podcast with a, three goofs. <laughs> oh, they didn't think that highly of me. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, hey, listen, I am really excited about tonight's show. And I'm not just saying that because I say that every week. Uh, I really mean legitimately, I'm really excited about this show because this is a big part two of uh, an, a conversation about ableism. Uh, we started the conversation last month uh, and quickly realized that this is a topic that was just too big for one episode. So tonight, is part two we're talking about inspiration porn and uh hey ryan yes rob why don't uh why don't we not waste any more time and why don't you tell the lovely folks at home uh just who's joining us for this conversation as well well this week for this conversation we have sean marcelet joining us from the limitless podcast hello sean hello thanks for having me glad you could be here and of course our returning guest to talk all about this topic is Amy Amanti. Aw, thanks. I'm so happy to be back. Part two. Man, can I can I just say we have way too many people on this podcast. I'm I'm exhausted and we've just gone through the intros. <laughs> 
Can I just say that that's the first time I've ever been introduced as from the Limitless podcast? So that was new. That caught me off guard a little bit. I'm like, that's right. I am from the Limitless podcast. Yes, you are. Absolutely. Right. This whole blind beginnings thing is going to be a side gig soon. (laughs) She's like, really? Really? Yeah, it would certainly be more fun if I could just do the podcast. All all of the programming turns into go outside kids. We're podcasting. That's right. Uh, okay, well, let's get this ball rolling, shall we? So there, there could very well be people out there uh, that um, that aren't familiar with this this whole concept of inspiration porn and just what it is. So um, the term inspiration porn was uh, coined by a Australian disability advocate by the name of Stella Young. Um, she did a really famous uh, TED talk, I think, around 2014. Uh, where she really sort of dove into the to the idea, um, but really what we what we're talking about here is the objectification, I guess, of disability in order to use it as a motivational tool for able-bodied people. Well, I, uh, this is Amy speaking. I'm a huge fan of of Stella. Um, I guess I have to call her Stella Young because we don't know each other personally. And she's since passed um, after doing her her TED talk, her very famous TED talk. And as you said, Rob, in 2014. Um, so this is a, it's a really accurate description. And, and this came from, um, you know, she identified as a little person. I, I, I think she might have had osteogenesis imperfecta, um, uh, but was a wheelchair user and um, was was tired of this idea that uh, people with disabilities were looked at as inspirational for doing the very basic requirements of life, right? Like, oh, you're such an inspiration. Why? Because I got up and made breakfast this morning. You know, um, in her words, she says, because I remembered my own name, right? Like she's putting even more of a, of a, um, an extreme on the spin of that. But she got tired of this idea that, that the able-bodied world would look at people with disabilities as if we couldn't uh, we couldn't do anything, that we we were not complete people, that we weren't able to achieve things. And therefore, an able-bodied person might go, oh, well, you're such an inspiration. If you can live your life in a wheelchair, I can live my life. Or if you can live your life blind, I have nothing to complain about. And so it's this, it's this context around how we talk about disability that she was really driving home about. Yeah, and she really pushed back against this quote. There's this, there's a sort of famous quote that's that's kind of cringy now. Yeah. Uh, but for years and years, uh, it sort of it was out there, and and the quote is the only disability in life is a bad attitude. Yep. We actually, um, I did a, a production called Comedy on Wheels in 2017 with a, a cast of all members of disability stand-up comedy, and many of our actors wrote that actual line in their stand-up comedy because it's so prevalent. Um, in the lives of people with disabilities. Well, I guess I want to throw something out there in this conversation. So I guess one of the things that I struggle with when it comes to the topic of inspiration porn is who, where do we draw the bar of what is allowed to be inspirational versus offensively inspirational? Yes, I want to jump in on that because I feel like some you know, I'm trying to inspire in some ways 
kids that I work with that are blind, that they can reach their full potential and be that positive example to them. But then that's very different from the person who sees me at a bus stop and says, you're amazing when they don't know anything about anything. All they know is I have a white cane. And, and so therefore I'm amazing because I'm standing at a bus stop. Like they're making a a lot of assumptions. So I don't mind when people think I'm inspiring because I went to the Paralympics or I started a nonprofit or Mm, that's about it. But <laughs> don't sell yourself short, Sean. Well, those are the things I feel yes. did take a lot of work and effort and anybody doing those things would be inspiring. I think that's kind of, you know, it's like, would you say to somebody who didn't have a disability that they were inspiring for the thing that is inspiring you in this moment? One of the things that I, I read about inspiration porn a while ago, because of course I, I teach about this and in the arts world was uh, somebody saying, you know, their, their example was, we don't, we don't call parents inspiring for feeding their children because it is recognized as something that you do. It is part of life. Um, I, and I, again, the caveat being there are, there are, there are bad parents out there, but we don't go to the average parent and say, wow, you're so inspiring. You fed your children today. Um, and so the idea of, of inspiration porn is about being exceptional just because you have a disability to doing the day-to-day things that we're all asked to do as human beings. So nobody on a day-to-day basis has been asked to start a nonprofit and nobody has been asked to go to the Olympics. That's not an expectation of a day-to-day experience, but putting your socks on in the morning, or like Sean said, getting out and taking the bus, that is, that is making, that is when you don't have a disability, making yourself feel so much better about where you are in your life. And that was the construct, right? That was the impetus to this. And knowing that Stella had lived this her entire life, like it's different for somebody like myself who lost my sight at 24 and never experienced inspiration porn until I experienced inspirational porn. But Stella had experienced from literally the time she came out of the womb, right? Like it's, you know, she she grew up with her disability. So imagine the impact that has when you hear that all the time that it's like, wow, you're an amazing person. You tied your shoes this morning. Like I just like, really? Uh, so when people say to me, I'm amazing or inspirational, I, what I say, I know, it's ridiculous because these are strangers that say this to me, but I say, you can tell me I'm amazing when I cure cancer. Like when I do something that's worth the inspiration, Mm-hmm. totally recognize that we want to celebrate that. So I celebrate Sean, all the work that you do, because I think that that is accurately inspirational. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that open up the opportunity though, to have that conversation with that ableist attitude, that person who's saying you're so inspiring because you got dressed or you made it to the bus or you cooked your own breakfast. You know, we talk about education all the time. Mm-hmm. That's an education moment. Oh, it is. But when you tell that person, actually, I'm not like, it's not that big of a deal, or I do this all the time, or I'll say I've been visually impaired all my life. So it's actually no, it's just normal for me is usually my response in that moment. They still go on with, oh, no, 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 (laughs) you're really, you're amazing. Or you're, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's usually amazing, not inspiring. Right. Um, Or, you know, the, the, like, I'll pray for you. Yes or God will save you or whatever. I'm like, yeah. what if God wanted me to be this way? Oh, I don't think so, honey. Yeah. You know that, like they argue back. So I don't, yeah. I don't know that you can change their minds. I also don't think that you need to put an onus of education on somebody just because some jerk at a bus stop spoke to them. 
Yeah. Well, that's the concept of I'm mm -hmm. not your teaching moment. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got into an argument about this with somebody who worked for Blind Beginnings for a short time, and he just like well fought back so hard like but it is inspiring I'm like <laughs> inspiration porn that's ridiculous and you know just really just couldn't couldn't wrap his head around it so i know there will be people that can't right but it is amazing and if i was blind i don't think i could do i mm -hmm. people think they wouldn't be able to go on they wouldn't be able to do the things we do they wouldn't be able to smile and be happy or all the you know whatever and so it's inspiring that we are doing those things so then let me ask this question playing i guess devil's advocate we as persons with disabilities did we find it inspiring when rick hansen wheeled around the world what yes, inspired but us that's amazing yeah so was going to the paralympics so climbing Mary Fox, but, a, I, run, but yeah. those, that's what I'm saying. It's, I don't mind if people think that's inspiring. That's not inspirational. Like that's not inspiration porn at all. Yeah. No, it's actually, he was trying to raise awareness and he did this amazing thing in order to do that. That's different. That is inspiring. Yeah. Well, that inspired me, just, me. Let me quote what Stella had said during her, um, her Ted talk and the topic of whether or not can a dis would, as she, was she as a disabled person ever inspired by other people with disabilities and for as powerful as her message has been that was i felt the weakest moment in that talk because she had said something to the effect of sure uh, i i i think it was great when I learned from another disabled person to use tongs to pick something up. And then she said, um, and I found out I could use my wheelchair battery to charge my phone. I felt like, well, those aren't, that's not being inspired by another disabled person. That is getting an occupational therapy tricks of the trade. Um, uh, you know, as opposed to, you know, like kind of like Sean, what you were saying, like, you know, from learning from another disabled person that you can aspire to things like you like what you do with your students. So I kind of felt that that was the the weakest part of her message was to kind of say, well, another disabled person can mean when, when they when they come up with something clever. I think she was saying I think she was she wasn't I think she was saying we learn from each other. Like I learned mm -hmm. from disabled people, not so much I'm inspired by those things, but those were examples of how you but there can. wasn't anything that was sort of like at the emotional level or some of the things that we struggle with. Um, I can speak from my own personal experience that when I became disabled, there was that moment where I said, oh, shit, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I needed a huge injection of inspiration from someone. And I did find it from a fellow uh, person who who was blind. Um, and I'm eternally grateful to that person. But to me, that is much more of a, I guess, a, a moment from disabled person to disabled person to share inspiration, not so much like, you know, oh, well, when I use my cane, I fold it this way as opposed to that way or, 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 or whatnot. I, I, so I just, I just felt that that was kind of a moment where she could have really sort of, you know, made, made it a, a little more relatable to people about emotional struggles and that other component of disability. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you you were inspired by another person with a disability, though. It's a little bit different than somebody who's able-bodied being inspired by 
the yeah. way we like, I liked Stella's example of the girl who's drawing with a pencil in her mouth because she doesn't have hands. Like that's just how she draws. It's kind of like if somebody watches me writing Braille, they might think that's cool, but that's just, it's not inspiring. It's just how I write yeah. differently. Right? right. So being inspired by a blind person who's overcome the challenge you're facing, I think is okay. Yeah, you're right, Sean. And adaptation is a different thing than inspiration. Um, and I think we need to start looking at inspiration porn in its own air quotes. Like, you know, we can separate inspiration from porn, but this is in air quotes inspiration. It's one construct. So we can separate the inspiration from the term inspiration porn, mm. um, which is its own identity, right? So nobody's saying not to be inspired. I mean, I when I lost my sight, like the simplest thing I couldn't do. I was a sighted person until I wasn't. And it wasn't until I met another blind person who was like, yeah, if you put an elastic band around your shampoo bottle, you'll be able to tell the difference. And I like, that was life-changing for me in that moment. Not inspiring, but life-changing because I knew that I could be a successful human being um, mm. and live my life. And, and we all want that in each other. So, you know, there's this, this construct too, that often we get told about that could be a bit of a blow your mind, maybe thing, but this idea that whether you're able-bodied or not, not everybody can do everything. Right. So, you know, if you're an able-bodied person and you drive, that's not inspirational because not everybody does that. Right. Like, it's just like, it's, un it's unpacking. I think it's unpacking this as one construct as opposed to or looking at, I guess, inspiration versus inspiration porn, if that makes sense. Inspiration porn is only possible. It's only possible when we hold underlining assumptions of incompetence. Yeah, that's it. That is yeah. that's like the catchphrase. You know, we don't do that. We, we look at people with disabilities with that underlining assumption that they can't do stuff. And that's what seeds inspiration porn. And often as we talk about unconscious bias, it's not meant to do harm. Nobody comes up to me or to Sean and says, oh, you're such an inspiration or you're amazing because they, because they want to hurt us in any way. And I think I recognize that intent, but if they actually understood the impact of those words, and if I hear them a hundred times a day, how that makes me feel about my own existence, you know, maybe they'd think differently. I don't know. Yeah. They mean it as a compliment. Yeah. But, but it's kind of a backhanded compliment, right? Yeah, because it's basically saying, I didn't expect you to be able to do this thing you're doing. And, and Sean, like my question for you is, how does that impact like the children that you work with when somebody doesn't believe that they can do stuff? You know, oh. and then it turns out they can, right? Like, yeah, well, it's interesting you ask that because I've been sitting here thinking, I wonder if it's different if you've been blind your whole life versus lose your vision. Maybe. Because- you know, the choice, either people feel sorry for you and think, or they think you're a mate, like those yeah. seem to be the choices. <laughs> and so I guess if I had to choose, I would take, I'll take be, you know, that I'm inspiring you over that you feel sorry for me, mm -hmm. but neither is great. And both have the same underlying thought that I don't think you can do much. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, I think that part of part of what makes this kind of tricky to navigate is that really it's all about the context um, because and who the audience, who the intended audience is, because really what we're talking about and one of the reasons why, you know, Stella 
used the the porn reference was the idea was to to give sort of this negative connotation to this idea that you're used you're objectifying people in order to benefit others and mm -hmm. so in the case of like you know really negative inspiration porn what you're basically doing is you're objectifying people with disabilities in order to benefit able-bodied people to make them feel better about their day you know oh what's your excuse that you know those types of posters right mm -hmm. or motivational you know things to motivate able-bodied people using the disability community and that's that's the really problematic part of this i think on a on like a macro level on on the sort of the larger scale not necessarily on on a day-to-day -day that, that like we've been talking about well, I kind of want to put you able-bodied people on the spot and ask, does it work? Does it motivate you? Does it inspire you? I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, and, and knowing that both of these able-bodied folks have a connection to the community, right? It's like, you know, folks in the community. So maybe you think differently about it mm. than somebody who doesn't know anybody with a disability, right? True. Yeah. See, and as soon as you asked me that, like I thought back in my head, well, you know, sort of previous to my my experience in the disability community, because as soon as you're inside the disability community, no, it of course it doesn't work because you know better. You know that, mm -hmm. you know, you have that you have the the context that you need that that necessarily isn't going to work. Um, but outside of the disability community, you know, maybe I mean I can see. I mean, you know, previous to 2014, and I was kind of thinking about this before the show. I was like. Before, you know, Stella really made, you know, sort of brought this to the forefront, this was a technique that was very common. I mean, holy cow, how many, how many movies and TV shows and books and things were written in the past that that was the exact thing. Oh, this person had a horrible accident and they became disabled, but then they did this thing and, and now they're able to do this. And oh, what, a, what an amazing motivational story. Like those were all those were all essentially inspiration porn and but they were that was the huge industry that's the main way that we interacted and talked about disability mm -hmm. um and luckily now we've sort of grown out of that but certainly it's a it's a big part of the history and it's not hasn't been that long that we've been sort of aware that it's been a little bit problematic so I, my question back to you though is how long how long do you feel like this has been a problem and sort of before 2014 like ha has it really been a problem in your in your guys's lives i i mean for me i feel like there was like the time in my life when i was trying very hard to hide my blindness out of shame and embarrassment and all the things so trying to fake it as a sighted person and then there was when i didn't have a choice anymore so when i first started using a white cane um, I think I was just really sensitive to any kind of comments and I don't, I, uh, but, but I mean, the whole reason I didn't want to use my cane in the first place was because of this belief that I would be treated differently, which, you know, came from somewhere. So I think my fear was people would feel sorry for me. Uh, they wouldn't want to be my friend. They would see me as different. I don't think I ever worried that people would find me inspiring. So that was probably a surprise when I started to get that reaction. Um, but I don't know if I heard that until I really kind of came into my comfort with my blindness, like started to, you know, rah, rah, no limits. Like this isn't going to like probably wearing that inspiring persona, like having a positive attitude and all the things, which maybe 
people would look at me and think like, well, she's not letting her disability stop her. That's inspiring, which I don't know. I don't even know how I feel about that. It feels icky to me still, but it's not, it's not as black and white, I guess, as. Yeah. And it's so common, right? Mm-hmm. We hear that. We hear that so often that a part of you becomes almost immune to it. And the other, like, it's like a, it's like a split thing, right? It's like, for me, I feel like a part of me is like, yeah, I hear this so much. I'll just let it wash off like mm-hmm. water off a duck's back. And then the other part of me is like, I'm really triggered in this moment. Cause you've said this thing. And <laughs> like, I'm, I, I'm at when I'm at when with, with hearing this kind of, uh, this assumption that I can't, that I'm not a capable human being. Um, so I, you know, I, I totally, and you know what, I know some people in the disability community who love being told that they're an inspiration, who feed off of that, like it's some kind of drug, yes. right? So you're going to find different, different strokes with different folks. Um, but I, I think that, you know, for me, I think that, again, and I, I said this in part one, I don't want to be the source of something that triggers somebody else and I can control what comes out of my mouth. So I don't go up to a person with a disability and ask them how they got their disability. I don't ask them, you know, the, the general questions that would be considered systemically abled, ableist, you know, do you work? Are you in a relationship? Like those things come out organically when you know people and you develop relationships with people. But those are things that you don't just ask strangers because you wouldn't ask somebody who doesn't have a disability those particular things. So, I mean, I can't, I can't, I don't know, Sean, you are, maybe you don't get asked this. I get, I, I said this before, I get asked how I have sex when I'm sitting on the bus. Like it's anybody's business, right? <laughs> Everyone still wants to know what bus you line have, you ride. Yeah, you have sex <laughs> sitting on the bus? <laughs> how do you do that? <laughs> okay, that's right, that's right. It's called, it's a big poncho and no. They thing. always throw me off. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's, I mean, like, when you think about the kinds of things that a person gets asked mm-hmm. or that I, I guess I should say that I've been asked um, from random strangers is it's, it's ridiculous. And it's hard to fathom. I mean, I've had people put money in my cup of, of coffee because they think I'm begging for money. And it's like, I was just enjoying my cup of coffee, <laughs> yes. like, you know? So there's all, there's, a, there's, again, when we go back to this idea of, um ableist assumptions right it's like we live in a world of assumptions and i would love for us to not live in that world but we're a long way away from that i'm i'm just thinking of the statement i uh, you do more than most sighted people i yes. know <laughs> i mean that's kind of an example of this right like mm-hmm. i wouldn't expect you to do more than the average sighted person and if you do then then you, that's like mind-blowing inspiring. I hear that a lot from a lot. I mean, I do do a lot of things, let's be fair, but. But a lot of people <laughs> do a lot of things, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely able-bodied people who do as many things as I do, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, let me just throw this into you, Amy, because you, you touched on something that I actually wrote in my notes about uh, how some in the disabled community do feed off of the, 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 the positive, reinforcement and feedback of being called an inspiration, et cetera. So we, we've spoken to people on this podcast, on, on, on my podcast in, in the past from the disabled community, and some of them do embrace these mantras mm-hmm. that are very similar to the, the only disability is a bad attitude sort of vein of uh, school of thought, I should say. So would you 
consider some of those members of the disability community who do that, like inspiration pornographers? <laughs> I mean, I think for me, I go back to the idea of what inspiration porn means and who and who it is, who it benefits. So, you know, I tend to give a little more grace to my friends in the disability community who have toted themselves as inspirational speakers. Um, and oftentimes those inspirational stories start with, I was so such and such, and then I lost everything, you know, and I, and I, and then I had to rebuild my life and I had to come back from the ashes and now I'm a this, right? Like this, and like, let's be honest, able people, you sit in front of a, a room full of corporate anybody's, um, they love that shit. Like that is gold to them. They have got their money's worth from your speech. Um, on how they can be better human beings because you can do it, right? Like there's this attitude that's there. And I tend to give my, my friends with disabilities the grace to tell their stories in that way. But I, 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 inspiration porn for me comes from the assumption of the able-bodied person first. And that's how, for me, that's how I, I separate that, which is, it's just like, like we talked about language. It's like, I believe that anybody who lives with a disability can choose their own language, but that doesn't mean that I think that able-bodied people shouldn't be asked to use the highest bar, right? Um, because they're not a part of the community. They're not a member of the community. So I tend to give a little bit of space for my friends who, who have, and let's be all honest, who are making a living and that's even sometimes a challenge to find a good job that you're good at, that you can, you know, work within, within your own stamina and within, within your own um, abilities. That is also a challenge. So if that is where you make your, your rent and your money, I'm going to let you do that. That doesn't mean it's going to be my choice. And if I tell my story, my story isn't about the fall and the rise. It's kind of about the journey in between, right? So it's, for me, it's a, it's a different way of sharing my experience. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I did have a friend. Um, I mean, this was many, many years ago, but I remember her saying, I don't think I would want, you know, if I had a choice to be cited, I don't think I would want to, because then I wouldn't be amazing. So there was that, uh -huh. like people look at what I'm doing and are impressed by it. Whereas if I was just an average sighted person, I wouldn't be impressing anybody. So exceptional. Yeah. I don't, I certainly don't feel that way. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess we're all individuals and it is really about the sighted. It's that lowering the bar, or having low expectations for people with disabilities. That's kind of the part that bothers me. Mm -hmm. Like everything, my whole mission, I feel like in life is to shatter misconceptions of blindness. I want people to realize that we're capable and competent and just like everybody else varied all the things. Mm -hmm. And so I try to do inspiring what would be considered inspiring things because it's like, you've got to like jump really high just so people will, so you can land somewhere in the middle, somewhere on the average side, but you got to shake people out of this idea of helplessness and neediness and, you know, all the negative kind of stuff. So I do push really, really hard intentionally, like do the grind blind, you know, bringing a, a group of blind kids up the gross grind intentionally hoping that we'd get media attention and people would see that. And people, it would just like really wake people up so that they would, if they can see that kids could climb the gross grind, then they're not going to be amazed to see a blind person crossing the street independently. Right. You know, like what I think it was Rob that brought up the man in motion stuff. And like, 
there is danger that it has the opposite effect. Well, I was just going to say, like right? doing, doing the gross grind could easily have had the opposite effect of the media going, wow, these kids are so inspiring, right? I'm sure so, there was some of that. Right, there yeah, was. So it's a balance. Yes. But then do we... <sighs> Yeah, that did happen. That wasn't the intention. Sure, I wasn't trying to not. inspire. But, but where do you draw the line between educating well, without inspiring? It. Exactly. Like, we okay, have but, to educate. But here's the pushback. Sorry, here's the pushback. Because it is inspiring, but it's not inspiration porn. It mm. is inspiring. What's inspiration porn is, gosh, if they can do the grouse grind, I can do the grouse grind. Yeah. If they have the ability to do it, I should pick my ass up off the couch and do it myself, right? It's the same with the man in motion, right? Um, you know, that's inspiring because not every human being has the ability to do that. But if you're sitting at home as an able-bodied person and be like, listen, I was so tired to walk up and down my stairs today. I'm not going to complain about that anymore because this guy in a wheelchair is rolling across the country. <laughs> that is, for me, that's, yeah. the, that's the difference, right? Mm -hmm. But let me just push back on your pushback on your ah, pushback. I love pushback. <laughs> <laughs> but is inspiration on any form, any level, really a bad thing i mean can we really dictate which what people should what people can and should be inspired by i mean, I mean who i mean who's the inspiration police and i listen i understand the objectification and i'm not uh, this is me you know just pushing mm -hmm. back because there's a, there are so many different schools of thought with this but but really if somebody sees someone with a disability going about their daily lives and you know you never know what's happening with other people and they do get some sort of trigger to say damn it you know what i don't have any excuse i've been making excuses for whatever reason and it motivates them is that really a bad thing so i think we're all inspired by like i love to be inspired i look for it in i look for books that i can read about people that i think are inspiring we all have but I guess I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is just shut up about it. Like keep it to yourself, <laughs> go ahead and be inspired. Don't tell us you're inspired <laughs> by us. It's the same with like, I don't know, any, any ism, any seeing a different group differently. You're going to have those opinions. You should check them. You should be aware of them, but you're going to have them, but you should know better than to say them. And I think it's it's perfectly acceptable to tell somebody who has a disability that they are amazing or inspiring. Nobody sees that as offensive. Whereas some of the other stuff that we know we're not supposed to say, we know it's offensive. We acknowledge maybe, you know, hopefully. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to ask Rob for a an agree disagree with this one because, uh, you know, I've been listening quietly here and you're all making good points. But I think um where a lot of this stems from is the fact that the mainstream population a good chunk of us good solid chunk of us are just really lazy and when we see people out there doing stuff we go oh that's inspirational and then oftentimes we go back to our couch but um, <laughs> when when somebody with a disability does it we assume that they're overcoming something to get to do that you know, if it's something like going to the bathroom, that's just condescension. That's not, you're not paying anybody a compliment. It's just condescending. You know, well, I think that also too, I think that, I mean, I, I would sort of tend to agree with that, especially the lazy part, because I can, I can, I can, uh, I can relate to that. Um, but I, I think that 
you know, it's, it's also sort of the human condition. I mean, we, we're, we're naturally attracted to the idea of, you know, of being inspired. Like Sean said, we all love being inspired. We, we, you know, we, we look for things to be inspired by. And we, we also, you know, we have our own misgivings and our own things that we're self-conscious about and that we want to do better. And so, you know, we want to be motivated and we look for that in our day-to-day -day lives for sure. But I mean, to speak to, to what we were just talking about, there's a good example. I was at the park over the summer and I was, I, I biked up to the park and I was sitting on a table and there was this guy, he had to have been 70 years old. He had no shirt on. He was, he was hacky sacking. And the guy looked like he worked out, like he, he was cut, like he was, he had six pack and stuff. And he was like 20 years older than me. And I looked at him and was like, I'm inspired by this guy. But there's no way that I would go up to him and be like, hey, you are in amazing shape, bro. Uh, I'm really inspired by you. Like I would just, I just keep it to myself. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually, you know, get, you know, approach him and say that. And so maybe that's kind of what we're talking about. That's a, maybe a one example. That's funny because I feel like, Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that would be okay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> good for you, like, buddy. Inspiration porn to me. No. Well, no, it's definitely not inspiration porn, but it's just, it's not something that I would do. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. I think that my, I guess my point is that you can be inspired by somebody, but not necessarily, and who knows, maybe he wouldn't care. Because he's like working. A, like so Amy that's, said, context, right? You know. Yeah, he's working to have that body, to have that fitness. I'm not working hard to stand at the bus stop and wait for the bus. I, I like, I got into an argument once with my aunt and my cousin about vacuuming and how amazing it was that I could clean my house. <laughs> oh no. Like, and I, I'm real. I was like, it's not amazing. I don't know any other, like I've always yeah. done it the same way. And I was, they wanted to know how I vacuum and like, you know, I suck up socks just like the next guy. Like it's not amazing at all. It's just, yeah. I learned to do it that way to begin with. So yeah, I don't know. Like that guy is working out. And if you notice that he, the, the benefits of his working out, he'd probably be flattered. Right. Just like I am flattered when people, you know, compliment me on starting a nonprofit or, or something like that, because I worked really hard to do that. So yeah, I like pat me on the back. That's great. Just as Amy said before, you know, that I don't think it's, it's meant to be an insult. It is meant to be a compliment, maybe like not a very well positioned or or maybe one you should absolutely just keep to yourself but when i'm out on the street i have had people make comments to me just like everybody else on this panel who has a disability has experienced at one time or another but it's not like every single person by any stretch and i'm kind of in maybe that school of thought what, what ryan had said i try to use them as teaching moments and just say, hey, you know, what? I'm just like everybody else. And they're like, oh, wow. OK, well, because maybe they've never been up close and personal with somebody who is blind. <clears throat> and for me, I want that one experience or that first experience to to leave that impression like, oh, damn. OK, well, wow, she's I just learned something new today um, as a, as opposed to taking the, the defensive position, which um, I think that is sometimes the, the, the knee jerk reaction. That's, that's how I approach things too, Liz, because I'm an educator, but not everybody with a disability wants to be your teaching moment. And that is also something that we have to recognize within the human condition, right? Which is, 
just because you have a disability doesn't mean that I'm an open book and you can ask me any question you feel like is coming to the top of your head in this moment. Mm -hmm. um, but I too uh, will answer them to a stranger because I take that opportunity to, mm -hmm. and I even like, you know, I go, I, I don't know if I said this to y'all in part one, but I even go as far as, you know, if somebody asks me in the right way, you know, if I need assistance crossing the street, even if I don't, I may say yes, because I want to reinforce that behavior, right? Instead of being grabbed and pulled across the street, somebody may say, oh, you know, um, I'm crossing the street with you as well. Would, would you like an arm? And I might just say, sure, I'll take an arm because they've done all the right things. And the next person's going to benefit from that, even though I didn't need it in that moment. Mm -hmm. That's a choice I get to make. Um, whereas I have another friend who's a guide dog user. And if you say, do you need help? She'll shit all over you because she doesn't want to hear it. Right? Like I am capable. I can do this myself. So it's going to be different for everybody. And I think the idea of folks that don't identify with disability understanding these things means that they're not shocked when somebody says, that's none of your business. Or when somebody opens up and says, well, I can share this with you. You know what I mean? Like it's, I think it's the understanding. And, and just to go back to this, these examples of inspiration porn, like I have a friend, I'll put Art, Art, my friend Art, he's a quadriplegic um, and a fantastic painter. And his painting, his artwork is inspirational, not because he paints with a paintbrush in his mouth, but because he's a fantastic artist. And there's the differentiation right there. Not everybody can put paint to a canvas and come up with something beautiful, right? So you can be inspiring for doing something that is separate from your disability. Yeah, and I also want to jump in on the sort of how we react to to these comments because I think, well, I have to say <laughs> since COVID and not being out as much as I was before, my tolerance for it is way higher. So I don't get as grumpy as I used to because it's not happening to me multiple times every day, but when it is, and I, I still try to be, you know, I'm not rude. I think I'm just like, actually, no, I'm not amazing. Like I still, yeah. I've never gotten mad at anybody. I come home and rant on Facebook about it because <laughs> those are supposed to be my people. And then I sometimes get into debates on Facebook with arguing because <laughs> it turns out they're not my people uh, <laughs> or they don't, don't agree with me or whatever. I should be nicer. La, la, la. Anyways, but no, to the actual human I'm not getting all angry at them. I feel very responsible to represent the blindness community mm -hmm. when I'm out in the world. So I try to smile and be polite, but I can still do that and, and still be annoyed. So I'm Fair just going to throw this out there. Let's take off our disability lens and look at it from an able bodied person's point of view. Where did our new perspectives come from? Because because before we lost our sight or before I'll speak for myself, before I went blind, I was probably like every other able-bodied person. And if I saw a blind guy crossing the street, I was like, wow, that's inspirational. That's incredible. Like how, how did he learn to how do, does he that, do that? Right? Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, we're coming at this from a disability lens. Well, of course we are because that's our lived experience, right? Just like any other equity seeking person comes to this work from their Right. I, so you know, what, I too, Ryan had no concept of any of these things before I was a person with a disability. Right. Once I started to experience them and learn from other people the impact that they have, then all of a sudden my attitude changed big time because I didn't know what I didn't know and now I know different. 
you got educated. Okay. <laughs> but but yeah. this is what we do in this space right here is but we that, have the discussion and we educate. Right, but this space, a lot of this space is the disability community. We're not reaching the people we need to reach. That's the problem. Well, that's your problem. Yes, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. That's my problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. So basically what we need to do is start apparently putting out bus ads. Well, no, but, I've said this before. If we want to reach people outside the disability community, we need to be willing to talk to them, be open with them, be willing to share our opinions, share our experiences. Because if we're just talking to the disability community, I've said before, the disability community can't agree on everything. So, you know, how, how can we expect the able body society to change their opinions of us? We're just, it sounds like to me, we're offended when they come and say something that just is, doesn't sit right with us. Like it doesn't make sense. We can't have it both ways. Ryan, but, Sean, Sean and I are doing this work every day. I, I was going to say, I mean, I'm offended. I'm offended on a, like, how do I say An this? internal level? Yes. I still have relationships with people. My mom thinks I'm amazing. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I, I love my mom and she's sure. amazed at what I've been able to do because her, her belief about blindness was basically that I would probably live at home and she'd have to take care of me for the rest of her life. Yes. Right. When she found out I was blind. So, so it's, I've blown her mind. I've yep. surpassed her expectations. I don't, I'm not mad at her about that. Right. It just makes me sad that that's still, that the bar is still so low that most people yeah. still think we're not capable of very much. And right. I really want to change that. So if, if we never talk about it, if we don't, if we don't try to tell people that what they're, what they think is inspiring can be offensive to us, then they're not going to stop seeing it that way. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes you just, you know, I, I think that you have to just face the fact that sometimes you're just going to be in a no win situation because somebody who approaches you and tells you you're amazing and you try to teach, you try to turn it into a, a teaching moment, that person may be not receptive. That's not why they came up to you. Maybe they just, they want to feel motivated, damn it. Yeah. They're going to tell you yeah, that, and they want to feel like you're an inspiration. a good teacher for the day, you know? Yeah, nothing, yeah, yeah for sure. Nothing, nothing that you say, it's, it's more about, it's not even about you, it's yeah. about them and what they're doing. Yeah. And so some cases you're just not going to be able to te turn it into right. a teachable moment. And I guess those are probably the, the situations that are kind of frustrating because, and maybe that's part of what, what this is trying to sort of get to the heart of is that this is a problem when you're using somebody else and their situation in life in order to make yourself feel better and you're not willing to, to go that extra step and go, oh, well, maybe this, this isn't really a pleasant interaction for this other person. I never thought of that, you know? And, you know, that just lends itself to this idea of we just have to get better at, or not get better at, but we just have to to get this message out there yes. into, the, into the ether and let people know that this is an issue and people with disabilities have the right to feel the way that they feel. Oh yeah, that's, I mean, you know, if you want, <laughs> Sean knows this well too, that, that that sometimes the weight of, of the, the whole community is on your shoulders. If I respond badly to this one person, they're going to think that all blind people mm -hmm. are this yeah. way, mm -hmm. right? Um, and those of us who educate in this space take that, I think, often very much to heart. But we are allowed to have a bad day, just like every other human being on the planet, right? But we're not really given the space to do that because 
you know, you know, when you interact with one person with disabilities, we all know that paints the brush for the whole community. Um, so it's, it, that's, that's a heavy, that's a heavy thing to bear when you're an educator, um, in, in these spaces. I think also, I know I'm personally very sensitive because I think, because I grew up believing that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be worthy or wouldn't be good enough or, you know, like my idea of blindness was very, very negative. And so whenever I feel that from people that they think that too, it's a sore spot for me. So it's kind of like when people are saying I'm amazing or inspiring, they're poking at the one thing that I'm the most insecure about. So it's, it's just unfortunate. Right. And maybe other people with disabilities never had that view. Maybe they grew up thinking that it was awesome to be (laughs) like, I don't know what their experience Mm -hmm. is, but for me, it was, it's very much like I need the world to know that I still deserve to be here and that I'm still capable and, you know, worthy. And so I think Sean, you were right when you said earlier or somebody said earlier, but I think it was you maybe that said that there might be a difference between an acquired disability and a congenital disability mm-hmm. in that, like when I think about the fact that for all intensive purposes, and I'm using air quotes around the word normal, um, I lived a very typical life until I lost my sight. So I didn't necessarily have a, 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 you know, a tie to the disability community. I had a job, I drove a car, I had a, you know, an apartment, like I was a, a, a you know, what, what the world would consider a complete human being. This is the world, right? Um, you're ticking all the boxes. You're on your way to the the picket fence and the 2.5 children and the marriage and all those things that the world tells us we're supposed to have. And then when you lose your sight and or acquire any disability, and then the world looks at you like, well, you were capable before, but you're not now. Mm-hmm. That's a real heavy sting too, because you came from a place where where you've had to relearn to do things that you did before. And some things like, you know, I had to give up driving a car. That's just a reality of blindness. Um, so, you know, that's part of something that I, that I, inter- you know, work, work with internally. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm a less capable human being because I don't drive a car. Right. And so the idea that people looked at me as the way I was before and the way I was after, like, like my diagnosis was this, I don't know, this, this turning point or this, this pin in my life that is that is a definition point kind of rubs me the wrong way because I feel mm-hmm. like I'm just as capable now as I was before. Um, nothing's really changed for me except that I do things a little bit differently. I just yeah. navigate the world differently, right? So yeah, I was thinking, uh, I was doing a presentation yesterday and uh, doing some educating about blind children. I was thinking about how for me, I actually was visually impaired from birth, but I didn't know until I was 12 because my parents didn't tell me. So until I was 12, I was thinking of what a privilege it is to grow up just assuming you will have a job one day and you'll get married and you'll have kids and all those things that we just sort of assume will have because everyone, most people do. And then at 12, finding out, oh, you're you're going to continue to lose your vision. You're going to be blind immediately. Then I... I thought I wouldn't have all, you know, like just that whole perception because of that sort of how we view disability. So like none of those things are expected for somebody with a disability. It's just like, you're, you're an exception. If you have those things, 
and most most people yeah that's kind of what i what yeah. what i experienced i think i entered into the disability sphere with probably more i guess thicker skin if you will because being disabled was not my first quote unquote label of being different and being measured by a, um, you know, a, a different metrics and than able-bodied people um, in the views of, of some, because when I grew up as a Asian American in a Caucasian household, so growing up, I would have strangers talk to me in a foreign language, assuming I, mm -hmm. oh, you speak English so well, I, you know, so all the mm -hmm. inappropriate things you would say to a minority. Could that I would be get... inspiration porn? <laughs> well, that would that would be something, I guess. But I guess what I'm saying is that having been exposed to that sort yeah. of act was like a who 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 would have thunk it, as they say, it it sort of served as a uh, you know sort of primer for me moving into becoming a disabled adult and having to now deal with a new label and new layers of people not understanding and and making assumptions about who I must be just based on not now, not by my race, but by my ability. That's really interesting. You know, and this is the thing about ableism in general. I, th I feel like there's so many aspects of ableism, not only to talk about, but so many aspects where people don't necessarily mean, mean any harm by it. But at the end of the day, that does not necessarily mean that those actions are not harmful. Just like racism. Yeah, exactly. And the microaggressions, then we, well, we didn't mean to be offensive, but it doesn't mean right. we weren't. So you can, you can apply that to, uh, uh, you know, the experience that women have. You can apply that to racism. You can apply that to colonization, right? Like, again, when we look at equity seeking groups, none of these things are, are unknown concepts. There's, there's pattern there, there's precedence there, right? Like, yeah. so the, the idea of assumption in general for all people through all lenses is really something that we should be, this is a, something that I say to myself all the time, all the time when something comes in my head and I think, Amy, check your assumptions, check your assumptions because I'm a human being. And so I will, you know, witness things in the world and then something will pop in my head that I go, that's racist, check your assumptions. That doesn't mean I verbalize it. Um, but you know, when I, when I hear things, when I experience things, when I, when I f feel myself being frustrated, you know, I have to check my assumptions. Um, why, why am I, why am I feeling this way? That's a constant check-in that I do with myself. And I think people with disabilities are, are kind of, we're still like, sadly grateful to even be there at the table. <laughs> yes. Sean, I, I, I call, I call the disability community, the second cousin twice removed. Yeah, right? you never get invited to Thanksgiving dinner. The second cousin twice removed is never invited to that table. Mm. So when we make we make steps in social justice around other, you know, social justice topics, the disability community is never is so far behind. But I think also like the able bodied population is like, aren't you just happy you're here? Like, yeah, shouldn't that be enough. You know, you get to some of you are working now and some of you are married and some of you whatever. Right. Like there's a few of you in politics and there's like, <laughs> so. I mean, I'm seeing some of you on TV and programs like, come on, shouldn't you just like, isn't that what you want to be like, grateful for access? <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, that is true. I, I that's do episode like, four, friends. <laughs> I do, 
Let me ask you, have, has, has anyone caught the the new Sex in the City reboot and Not just yet. like that? I don't have that channel yet. <laughs> okay. I don't want to do this. What, what channel is it? Now I'm curious. It's, it's HBO. Oh, I've got it. Okay. Oh, Amy, so, can I come over? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, so I don't want to, without giving any spoilers about what what really happens in the in these episodes but um so carrie bradshaw she comes back and now she's a, she's on a podcast instead of uh just being a writer but uh one of the podcast producers in one of the episodes she enters the room wheelchair user and she was kind of she was a very flawed character not because she's a wheelchair user but just because you know she and they made her very very ordinary you know, um, mm. the only difference that you, it was just that she was a wheelchair user. Like, so she, she was, you know, she was mouthy. She was kind of offensive. Uh, she was uh, um, sexually active. I'll just yeah. leave it at that. There was references to that. So, but, um, I, you know, I, but what I, what I liked was that it was just subtle. It wasn't. I love that. To, it wasn't yes. meant to be like, okay, here comes the, uh, the person in the wheelchair that, um, you know, now we have to feel sorry for them. Or it was just kind of like, Hey, she's, yeah, she's just, you know, Lunar she, life. there is, a, in, she's, there's a blind character in the show you, which is on Netflix. And he's, he's like a peripheral character and they don't even like, so he said something, his dialogue was something that I actually had to say to my husband, is he blind? Cause they didn't even say that he was blind initially, but there was just something about the way he did something that it cued me because of the audio description. And so my husband kind of like, you know, we rewind, look at it again. And he's like, I don't know. And then in a future episode, he, you know, walks through the room with his white cane. And I'm, I'm like, that's so cool. Cause it's not, it's just, he just, he works at the library and yeah, exists in the world. Yes. Like, like we do, like just, <laughs> we do. They just blend into the into the scene. It's just perfect. like anybody else. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, my my question would be whether these actors are actually people with lived experience. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. You know, I, was gonna say that. <laughs> I don't um, know that I because do that's know. how we that's how we increase representation of the narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Is that yeah, I'm I'm here and I'm doing this work, right? And, 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 and there's another episode. There's another. The yeah. <laughs> Already planning the future episodes. I love it. Work <laughs> from me. Well, we've said a lot. This has been yet another epic ableism episode. And so, closing thoughts. And how do we? Are, are we on a good track? Do we think uh, to sort of shifting the 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 idea of this? What do you think? I don't know if we've convinced Ryan, so I'm not sure <laughs> if we're going to convince anybody else. Well, again, I think it, it's it's a lived experience thing, and and maybe it's regional as well. I lost my sight instantaneously living in a smaller city in the interior of BC, and so I didn't have. My family was in a different province, so I didn't have the oh no, what's Ryan going to do? Ryan's going to have to go home and live with his parents. You know, it was here's a mentor for you. He's blind. He was the same age when he lost his sight. Here's your O&M skills. Like I had a lot of positive reinforcements. I, mm -hmm. the only, I think negativity I had was the doctor saying, you know, you're going to be a blind guy. You're going to have to go home and live with your parents. Right. So oh, is the that, medical model. well, that's just it. So is it mm -hmm. societal? Is it the environment that you were in? Cause like I said, I wasn't with my family when I lost my sight, I was living on my own in a separate city. 
So I didn't have that, oh, poor Ryan attitude. When that doctor said that to you, though. Oh, my life was shattered. Yeah, but yeah. something in you was like, uh-uh, I'm not going home to my parents. Well, there's a whole family <laughs> dynamic. There's a whole other topic Okay, show, okay, maybe well, that wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the counselor in me just came out there. Left home when I was 16. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a whole other discussion there. But, okay. yeah, family wasn't an option for Ryan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, again, I just come back to, like, is it the environment you're in, the the expectations of the society you're surrounded by? Absolutely. All of the above. It yeah. is. It is. And that's why I work so hard with the parents of the kids that I For work sure. with. Because yeah. I think if if I can shift their attitudes before their kids are old enough to even yes. pick up on them, mm-hmm. you know, they gotta deal with the grief that they're feeling yeah. that their child is blind and then be able to support their child as they start to understand that they're different and yeah, if they can shift and see blindness not as negative, they don't have to see it as positive. They can just see it as neutral. It's Different. still a lot better than negative, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Was it a, a friend a, a friend of mine that we all know in this space, but I, I won't name her, said uh, to me once, when I was a little girl, my mother said, you are going to learn how to do the dishes. And she said, mommy, how am I going to do the dishes? I'm blind. And she said, you are going to feel where the, you know, where the, where the dried up food is on the dishes and you're going to sit at the counter and you're going to wash them until you're convinced they're clean. Right. Like it was an, and this, this, she was four or something at the time. So there was no, from her mother, poor you, you're blind. There was like, no, 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 no. There's the same expectation of you as I would have on my other children who are washing dishes and doing laundry and changing bed sheets and all the things that we do to support ourselves as human beings. Right. And to be a part of the world. So Um, I really appreciated hearing that from her because I was not a blind child. Um, And for me too, when I was like, oh man, I have to learn how to like cook. How am I going to do that? Right? Like yesterday I could do it today. I can't. And then you just, you figure it out uh, because you need to eat to survive. Um, So we tend to figure these things out. Um, I would say, you know, going back to your question though, Ryan about, or I guess it was Rob about like, are we making, you know, I, I, what I've noticed in all the teaching that I have done on these various topics, ableism, inspiration, porn, performative allyship, all of these things is the arts community seems to be the most receptive group of people. So like I would do a lot of work with, you know, municipal folks, architects, developers, and they are so resistant. They come to you, they want the information and then they say, oh, we can't cost too much money. Oh, we can't do that. Um, uh, but the arts community is like, how do we do this? How do I take nothing, no money at all, and like create magic that's accessible for everybody, right? So there's like this whole different attitude switch. And I think maybe it's because, and I use this term with love, the arts community is full of misfits. They're full of folks that didn't feel like they had a place to belong in until they found a place to belong in. And I think a lot of folks, you know, from equity seeking groups, including folks with disabilities, want to belong in society. And so, you know, you get this kind of vibe from the arts community that's like, no, no, you are our people and we want you to be a part of this. And and that doesn't mean that they're 100% accessible in everything they do. It means that they pick a point and they start and they move forward. Right. And that's like, that's, that's my expectation maybe of the world is recognize recognize what you know and what you don't know and just like 
make small steps every day to to move forward, right? If we if we bury our hands heads in our sand in the sand, it doesn't help anybody in humanity. We can't ever move forward if if we're just going to be ignorant to other others' experiences around us. End of thought. Period. Exclamation mark. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the way that the way that change is affected, right, is is the top down, you know, we we have to get we have to affect change through things like the media and the the, the added that's how we shift all these attitudes, Big right? Part of it. And it's and it's a slow process, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it certainly doesn't happen overnight. And, uh, and we're slowly but surely just in the examples that you guys were talking about earlier, um, you know, we're starting to see you know, wheelchair users, you know, portrayed in shows where their nickname isn't wheels and they're not like, <laughs> it's sort of like a quirky hacker or something. They're, you know not, I mean? like, they're not the Timmy. It's right. Y'all yeah, right. know about Timmy on uh, what is that? South Park? Timmy. Yeah, South Park. And it's yes, like, right. no, every time he says Timmy, I think, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, so we are, we're, we're beginning to see the change. And I think that that's the importance of, of advocates in this space and, and people like Stella Young. Um, who sort of started this whole conversation out. If it wasn't for her, we wouldn't be talking about this tonight. This is, this is how we affect change, slowly but surely, having conversation and just, you know, getting people to sort of think twice about the way that they interact with other people. Raise a glass to Stella Young. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. All right, well, listen, uh, I think that was another successful ableism episode, uh, people. Next time we'll talk about real porn. <laughs> how do we make record. that tactile and accessible that's what oh, i want there you go there's Brian has been an advocate in that space for many, many years <laughs> there's gonna the be a it's gonna make for very interesting alt text i can tell you that <laughs> yeah yeah just for the record i did actually go onto pornhub and searched inspiration porn and it, it <laughs> There's nothing like you. <laughs> Misty, Misty May and Jenna Jameson have nothing on her, right? There, there was actually nothing inspiring there at all. <laughs> you looked like good and hard, I, I right? I did that once by accident. I tried to find the show Big Love. Oh, if you put yeah. that in the Google search, that is not what you find. Okay, quote unquote by accident. Okay, that's Amy, right. accident. I, I wanted to see the show Big Love. Wink, wink. But nudge, that's nudge. Not what my search results <laughs> came up with. We'll just say that. But then I couldn't access that content either. So what's the diff? Oh, no, now you she's got to stop adding your uh, city name to that. <laughs> came across this video: steamy stories of the ninety-nine B line. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, why are you wearing a poncho in the middle of a hot sunny On the bus. All right, as usual, we got we got sidelined again. Yeah, we digressed again. Um, okay, well, listen, I want to very much thank uh, Amy and Sean for joining us uh, to talk about this. I I I love these conversations. I love that we were pushing back against the pushback against the pushback triple pushback i don't even know what that equals <laughs> i'm not sure where we ended up on that pushback there's so much pushback but no it's great i think that uh you know having these discussions is the only way that we affect change so i want to thank you guys for joining us and uh what do you say guys shall we get out of here Alrighty, man listen to that enthusiasm to get out of here <laughs> hey ryan rob 
I that was I totally psyched you because I don't go to you first. Do I, I know you <laughs> suck. I know psyched, psyched. <laughs> you just sit there. Yes, hey, hey, Rob. Uh, hey, where can people uh, find us? Uh, you can find us on the web, or as my late father used to call, the interweb at www.atbanter.com. Hey, they can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at uh, atbanter.com. And if they have a comment, suggestion, or topic for the show, they can give us a call at 1-844-996-4282. And if you want to remain largely ignored, try hooking up with us on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> And listen, call us up, tell us your best sex bus story, and we will give you a free t-shirt. <laughs> we don't have any AT Banter t-shirts, I'll just send you one of my t-shirts. And you get $100 nice. if you tell us the real story about Amy on the bus. <laughs> Fan fiction. There you go. I'm going to put um, it in a theater performance. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I thought this play was about a poncho. <laughs> does rain a lot in the i'm just saying all right that is gonna about do it for us this week thanks everybody for listening in and we will see everybody next week this podcast has been brought to you by canadian assistive technology providing low vision and blindness solutions across canada find us online at www.canastech.com that's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Oh, look at that master of the one take.